0: If you're listening and you haven't yet left a review, please do. It only takes a few seconds and is very much appreciated. This week's episode is a very exciting one. Although I feel like I say that every week, I genuinely mean it. Truly, Ruth is such an inspiration to so many people. What her and Rose have done with the River Cafe is just incredible. And it was amazing to get to sit down with her. There's a bit that you will hear when Ruth said that I should have lunch at the River Cafe and it sounds like I just ignore her but really I was beaming and nodding and for once felt kind of lost for words so listen out for that bit and I have to tell you I did indeed have lunch afterwards and it was genuinely one of the best lunches I've ever had big statement, but it's true. I had a lobster spaghetti I don't think I will ever stop thinking about, and I think could even be a contender for one of my own desert island dishes. Without further ado, here is today's episode. My guest today is Ruth Rogers. Ruth is the chef and co-founder of The River Cafe. She is without doubt one of the most respected and celebrated chefs in the world. In 1987, Ruth, along with her friend and business partner, Rose Gray, opened the River Cafe in what was then a fairly unfashionable part of London in a converted warehouse. The pair became famous for simple, authentic Italian food, and 30 years later, the Michelin-starred River Cafe has grown to be one of the most famous restaurants in the world. Quite a feat for two friends who weren't trained chefs and who started out with a space big enough for just nine tables. To mark 30 years of the River Cafe, Ruth has brought out a new book, River Cafe 30. Of the book, Ruth writes, "'Change is timeless. A good restaurant is alive. It lives, it grows, and so do its recipes. We have grown. We have a new vision, but the same conclusion. With good ingredients and a strong tradition, change and recipes can be timeless.'" welcome, oh, Ruth. Thank,
1: you. thank <laughs> It's you. such an honor. It's very, to have... very nice to hear your words. And oh. I'm very, very flattered.
0: Well, thank you. it's such an honor to have you on Desert Island Dishes. And wow, what a story. I absolutely loved reading the new book and going back in time and finding out about how it all began. Yeah. And I love the story that you tell of how basically it started in a, in a McDonald's.
1: Well, Rose <laughs> and I, yeah, well, at the time, uh, Rose and I, uh, had been good friends for many years, and our so geographically we were separated. She went to live in Italy in Lucca with her family, and I lived in Paris with uh, my husband Richard, who was building the Pompidou centre and When we came back from Paris, the real idea was to find a community, not just an office and So we had architects and we found the site on the on the Thames and uh, disused warehouses and so we we uh, made a big garden. I should say, not really. We, my husband and his partners, yeah. created a garden facing the river. Uh, we had framers for art. We had sculptors. We had graphic designers. There was a community, and it was wonderful, very interactive. But there was nowhere to eat. Nowhere to eat here, and also there was no there was nowhere to eat around this area. But also, the idea was to have a place where everybody could meet over food who was working here. And so, Rose and I came to look at this little. I said to Rose, "You know." Let's meet for coffee. And I was going to Kings Road and she was coming from Fulham or somewhere. So we met at a place called Durham's or Durham's. And it was, now it is McDonald's. Okay, and it is. But at the time, I don't think we would have. So I often said that, that we could actually have yeah. uh, it. No, now the two of us sitting us in a McDonald's yeah. to plan the river cafe. <laughs> but um, yeah, out of that very small space grew an idea yeah. and the reality.
0: And it's so strange to think that where we are in London, beside the river in Hammersmith, was an unfashionable part of London. But is it true that Americans... Well, in the 30, Yeah. Americans yeah that they would come and eat and then on the taxi when they were leaving they would
1: say take me back to London take me back to London yeah we asked the <laughs> woman where she was going she said London but we um it is interesting over the last 30 years to see the gentrification of the way the city has moved westwards so mm. you know the I drive down the Kings Road and the Old Brompton Road every day for three you know and Lily Road and now there you know there are places to eat there's antique stores there are Bookstores, there's a little cinema, so the, it is it is nice. But we still are out of, we are a bit of a destination. Uh, yeah, but, I but think what that a destination? Actually quite nice. Yeah. Definitely. You've said that your mother
0: wasn't a fantastic cook, although it sounds like your Hungarian grandmother made an amazing sounding goulash. Well, so I thought it might be a good time to talk about the first Desert Island dish, and that's the dish that most reminds you of your childhood.
1: Well, my 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 grandmother, um, who was a Hungarian. Immigrant really came from, you know, along with a mass exodus to, to the United States in probably the early 20th century, about 1908 probably they came. Very much, you know, the Ellis Island immigrant whose name was changed. And they lived on the Lower East Side of New York. But apparently she was just an incredible character and also a really, really good cook. And um, on my memories of her when the when they because we lived in the country about a hundred miles north of New York when she came, the house stopped and she would just take over the kitchen and oh, she really? made strudel and famously she said once when my brother was born her first grandson yeah um, and she came traveled probably four hours to see him. My mother said, Do you want to come and see the baby? And she said, No, let's eat first. Oh. So there you go. <laughs> she had <laughs> her priorities straight. Exactly.
0: <laughs> and were you the kind of child oh no, we haven't you haven't told me what your dish was.
1: <laughs> oh, so the dish that she made that I really do associate with my grandmother is not the um goulash or other Hungarian dishes. So she made a kind of kind of probably something more associated with Jewish food, which blintzes, you know, which is a very thin crepe with cheese inside. But I really associate a very, very light apple strudel with her. And it's interesting because that was hers. She made an amazing apple strudel and with the apples and the very thin pastry. But then Richard's mother, who came from Trieste and was an exceptional Italian cook, she also made a fantastic strudel. And oh, really? I think, you know, well, Trieste was part of the Austro-Hungarian Empire. So it is yeah. sort of, you know, the, those borders were probably quite changeable. That yeah, way. that makes so yeah. much sense.
0: Were you the kind of child that was
1: interested in helping out in the kitchen? I think I was in the kitchen a lot. Yeah, I think that I used to love to be in there and... To, um my mother cooked simply, but we cooked. And so I used to like to help her. And yeah, I think I always enjoyed the kitchen. And interestingly, you didn't grow
0: up eating a diet of Italian food, did
1: you? No, because I lived, I really did live in the countryside um, about two hours north of New York and very unsophisticated, very unworldly area. My father was a local doctor. And, um, but you know, there were, there were of course, bigger towns that we could go to and we would eat out. You know, I always noticed the change of patterns of eating, that we have so many children just eating in the River Cafe all the time. Oh, really? Whereas for us, it was always a bit of a special occasion. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> Lucky even children. That's yeah, no, it's amazing. <laughs> um, and even the special occasion restaurants are pretty simple. But, you know, so the food of Italy that came to the United States was mostly Southern Italian, so it's quite yeah. meatball, spaghetti type of thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: You say you were already very interested in cooking when you met your husband, Richard, but that his mother was a fantastic cook and, and a real source of inspiration to you, was, wasn't yeah. she? I read your quote about the last thing she ever said to you about the two most important things cream in life. Cream on your face
1: and more cream on your face and less herbs on your fish. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. The best <laughs> advice. Yeah. Advice.
0: yeah exactly. She sounds yeah, wonderful. She yeah. um, the second desert island dish is the first dish that you learnt to cook.
1: Well, I was thinking about that because you know I grew up in the country, and there was it was it was pretty simple there that you ate the food that they sold in the market type of thing where there was always a summer market and I always remember one of the first things really loving was um corn on the cob and I think when we talk about seasonality, you know we used to buy the corn if we were having it for lunch we'd buy it in the morning if we were having it for dinner, we'd buy it in the afternoon, so it was just picked and um something as simple as that, and I think that I think my My mother loved risotto, and so even though she was not a very sophisticated cook, we did have wonderful risottos at home. I would say one of the first things I learned to cook was probably a mushroom risotto. Probably quite simple, probably with just the mushrooms that we had. Though she would go to New York, I think, and buy some dried mushrooms, some porcini, and keep them and we yeah. put them in. So that was very good. This was definitely a mistake yeah. recording this at lunchtime. <laughs> oh, yeah, you're going to do. You're going to go and have some lunch. You must. Come to the River Cafe. You have to eat.
0: Um, you say yourself that when starting the River Cafe, you had very little experience, but a lot of ambition. And when you were 16, you worked as a waitress in a restaurant. But beyond that, you hadn't worked in a Not restaurant, at all. had you? No,
1: no. The first restaurant I really worked in was my own. So it was a kind of I, but we were so small, you know, we were tiny, and I have to give a lot of credit to Rose because she was just so confident and so sure we could do it. And at that stage, what was the dream for the River
0: Cafe? Because I read that you say that you had a humble ambition to make the River Cafe the best Italian restaurant in the world. In the world.
1: Yeah, <laughs> but but was that really the dream I think, from well, the I beginning? Think, you know, ambition—you don't sort of sit down and think about your ambition. No, your ambition is what you do every day. So the ambition could be to. Make sure that we had a beautiful space. The ambition could be that we had great people working with us who like people. The ambition could be to uh, always to cook better and better food and have more interesting wines and to learn more about wine. So I think those you don't sit say, oh, we are," you know, we're going to be the best restaurant yeah. in the world. But I think sometimes I say that because people always. Focused on the fact that it was a staff canteen, so maybe that's all we wanted to be. Okay, but that was more to do with the restrictions than yeah. what we wanted to do.
0: And having no experience of running a restaurant, when you told people that that's what you were going to do, were people around you a little shocked? All yeah. my friends
1: were really, <laughs> really. <laughs> okay. They think you're you a bit crazy. Crazy. Really, yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> but you showed. They them. did it. We did it. Yeah. <laughs> The third Desert Island
1: dish, what is the best dish you've ever eaten? Oh, that's so difficult. I, know. I mean, it really, really is difficult. I think that if I can cheat and say, the, I mean, there are many best dishes. And it also doesn't, I was thinking about that, it depends on your mood. You can be skiing all day and be absolutely freezing and then, you know, go into a little hut on the mountains and have polenta with butter and parmesan and it's the best dish you've ever eaten. Absolutely. You, know, you can be... um Hot somewhere and have a piece of watermelon, and it's cold and juicy. It's the best dish you've ever eaten. But I think I, I've I've felt it in so many ways with so many foods. But I would say there's a little there's a little place in um, Liguria called it's right near Portofino. It's called uh, San Frutuoso. It's a monastery, and on this monastery beach, there's a beach. You have to can only get to it by boat or hiking over the mountain in Portofino and there's a little place called um da laura and it's changed now so this is sort of 20 years ago okay. they've grown they've it's still very very delicious and very sweet but literally there's a woman with a pot of boiling water and her son and you know tables that were fold away on the beach and they would they would make this lasagnetti al pesto which was the thinnest thinnest sheets of pasta that you could see your hand through wow. easily and how many lines were on your fingers And then you just um, cook them and you layer them on the plate of pesto. So you put a sheet of pasta, then you put the pesto, then you put the pasta. And for me, you know, taking that boat trip to this kind of worker's beach, it's not fancy at all. You kind of trip over bodies lying on the beach (laughs) and you kind of finally get to this little shack. And to have that is one of the great joys in life. Wow, that sounds amazing. I think it's
0: really inspiring that this is something that you and Rose embarked upon in your late 30s, when you both had lots of children. And you say at the time that you were scarily confident. Do you think that's the kind of confidence that can only come with
1: age? Well, I think we were. I think it. it I think it's a really good question, because I definitely think that the fact that we were both older, that we both had children... Not that I think you need to work with a partner and have children, yeah. <laughs> but it had been part of our experience, a shared experience, um, and that because we were older, I think we were very collaborative and not competitive, you know, with okay. each other too. You know, I mean, I, you could be young in that way, but we of were course. both, we were, we'd kind of been there, done that with many things, with um, with our children and the crises, with living in foreign countries, with, you know, different kind of jobs, Rose had worked as a, a fr- she sold wooden stoves and she had made paper lampshades and I'd worked as a graphic designer. So I think we'd been through a lot of different things. And um, there was a very, very good understanding between us as well. You know, if one of us had to go home, because it's usually me, because my children were, my youngest child was three. Okay. And her youngest one was probably 14 or 12. So there was a difference, but this still is demanding. So I think we really, that really did help. Yeah. Definitely. And I
0: think going into an area where you don't have a lot of experience, you can actually bring a sort of naivety, which mm-hmm. is actually yeah, a real... Yeah, I agree
1: with you. It's a real totally. strength. Yeah. Because if yeah. you knew,
0: if you, we may, only knew. Exactly. you may not have been brave yeah. enough. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> sort no. Of going I in agree. blind.
1: No, it's good. Yeah, it is quite
0: good. <laughs> there were, as you've already said, a lot of restrictions when you started. And essentially, you had to begin operating as a staff canteen rather mm-hmm. than a restaurant. Yeah. Is that
1: true? Yeah, well, it was, it was um, planning permission. We were ready to go... Were, you know being open and and uh be open to everyone really. But the problem was that the area, although there had been a Duckham's oil refinery where they were, you know, it was dirty and there was noise, the thought of having a small Italian restaurant sent the neighborhood into spasms of oh. fear. <laughs> and um and and uh, so when we applied for planning permission, I remember our consultant said, do not say that people will come here from New York and from Los Angeles, just say that you can get here by bus from Hammersmith. There's a real <laughs> fear, I think, of what of change. Yeah. And I think that is one of the most exciting things that's happened in London and why I'm so completely opposed to Brexit is that London has gotten so much more cosmopolitan. It's gotten so much more multicultural. It's gotten so much more excited by restaurants and bars and cafes and noise and whatever it is. But in those days, People were very fearful. Mm, yeah. yeah,
0: you're so right. It's such an exciting place now. Yeah. And it's hard
1: to imagine that that would have been the attitude. No, I know.
0: Um, was it true that that there was a stage when you were competing with a
1: woman selling sandwiches? Yes. Yeah. I mean, we had to be so inexpensive because we were not allowed to be open to the public. Okay. So we had to try and attract all the people who were working in these offices. As I said, architects, designers, model makers, um, framers. Um, that we had to kind of say, okay, you come and eat here, and so we were not competing with another restaurant. We were just competing with a petrol station down the road that sold sandwiches. You know, there wasn't even a Marks and Spencer's here. So, and then there was a girl who came on her bicycle, and she realized this is a this is a pretty good deal here, <laughs> and so she was selling very lovely girl selling sandwiches off her bicycle. So we yeah, it was a struggle. I mean, it's just so
0: hard to imagine that now, mm. isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I think people will take comfort in the fact that it wasn't an overnight success. Mm. I think it was four years before yes. you started yes. making money. Yes. And I think that's really important part of the story because I think we live in a time where overnight success is sort of aspired to and when it doesn't happen, yeah. it's really easy yeah. to feel
1: discouraged. Yeah, I think people will take comfort in that part of no, the story. I think that, you know, and people Leave to set up a restaurant here. Sometimes my young chefs say, Well, I'm going to go, and I go. I wish them well. I, but I sometimes also say, Be careful what you wish for, because you know, you come here and all you can do all day is cook, whereas you, you know, I'm doing paying the rent or looking at accounts. Yeah. So anyway, but it's, it's good for people to start their own restaurants. But it is um, it does take time. Yeah. yeah, well, unless you're an overnight success. So exactly. Well, yeah. But I mean, is that such, such a thing? I don't, I don't think know. So. I think everyone's struggling. Yeah. And um, I like what
0: you say about how the restrictions at the start could have been a negative thing, but actually it kind of allowed you time yeah, to learn and definitely. evolve.
1: Definitely. You know, I think that I always say we grew with a restaurant, you know. Yeah. So we started very small and then slowly, slowly mm. got things. I think
0: end. it's a good example of kind of everything happening for a reason. Like it's mm. sort of. I do It feels a bit yeah, like that. Yeah, maybe. The fourth desert island dish, what is your favorite sandwich? That's a
1: good question. I, I had to really struggle with that because I think uh, uh, sandwiches really reflect very often where you are. And so if I was in New York, I'd probably want a hot pastrami sandwich. Yeah. And if I was at the Ritz, I'd want a you know, smoked salmon sandwich. And if I was at Claridge's, I'd want the crab sandwich. You know, the, you think where you are. Um, if I was running for a train, I'd love Pret-a-Manger. You yes. know, I really love pret a <laughs> Me I think too. Brilliant. It's pretty underrated. And, and also, I just love the fact that everything about pret their ethics, their ethics, you their know, standards. I think Julian Metcalf is a genius. Anyway, back to the sandwich that <laughs> I chose. So one of my favorite places in the world is Florence. Mm-hmm. And one of the most beautiful streets in Florence is the Via tornaboni And there's a little tiny sandwich. A little, It's not a sandwich bar at all. It's a little bar where you can have um, a glass of uh, wine and they have little panini behind Ooh. the glass. And I think it's a place that Richard's parents, who uh, lived in Florence in the 20s, you know, 1920, 30, Richard was born in 33 in Florence. So I think that they, they knew it. They used to go there. So it was really there for a long time. And they do a little panini with that beautiful bread um, that is a bit shiny. It's not a brioche because it isn't sweet. But it's that Italian ver- ver- version of a little um, sort of very glossy, very beautiful little bread roll. And um, they do a white truffle sandwich. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and it goodness. is really delicious. I think that I I am not at all a fan of truffle oil. It's one thing, actually, if, if you have to ask oh, really? me food that I won't eat. I think truffle oil is the one thing I won't eat because it isn't, well, apart from anything else, it isn't genuine. It's all yeah. manufactured. But, um, it's so there, they they use a kind of truffle paste, and they I don't know how whether it's still- I haven't been there for a while, but it is it's just going in that place that's so full of memories, and to have that little white truffle creamy sandwich with the dry bread is. Divine. Yeah. You had me at (laughs) trouble.
0: It's definitely fair to say that both you and Rose have been instrumental in changing the way that we think about Italian food in Britain. Italian food is so much more than just the carbs that people tend
1: to think about, isn't it? Well, I think that you're right, because I think that we have a vision of, you know, Italian food. As I said, the food that I grew up with, which is a pasta with um, meatballs or whether whether it was baked eggplant in America, aubergine with Parmesan, whether it's, um, you know, fried veal cut Milanese. And then my experience when I went to Italy, my first experience of Italian food was probably a bruschetta because I was there in November with just new oil on it and salt and tiny, tiny bit of garlic. Or, you know, in Liguria where I go all the time on the sea, it's a piece of grilled fish, a whole fish. Um, simply fried with the chopped basil or herbs from the the surrounding hills and it just couldn't be lighter. So I think, you know, the pastas are fantastic. The risottos are fantastic, but also you have a delicious small plate of pasta. It's fine. I I think that fear of, I mean, everybody has their own diet. And also I have to say, I don't know what happens because we have a lot of very thin and elegant and young people coming to the River Cafe and the pasta section is the one that's always, always really Oh really. We sell so many pasta. Oh really? Yeah. So it's encouraging to know. Yeah, that really that. encouraging. The, and
0: and yeah, yeah, the Italians they do the most amazing vegetables, which yeah, you showed. Yeah, we do that. Well. We also have on the bar we always have yeah. plates and plates of vegetables. Beautiful. And the river cafe isn't about fancy foams and over the top gimmicks. It's all about using the best ingredients and really letting them sing we now take it for granted that we can source all sorts of ingredients. But I imagine 30 years ago, that process
1: was very different. Yeah, I often say that, you know, at the end of every Q&A that Rose did when we did the first book was, you know, it's all very well to say batarga or say salted anchovies or salted capers or prosciutto san Daniele, but we can't get it. Yeah, And over the years, those questions have sort of disappeared because, first of all, there's so many more shops that sell it. There are so many more... Um, possibilities for ordering online, and so you know the rise of the ingredient is very encouraging. And then I think um, farmers and and uh, you know the, we get a lot of our vegetables from here, but we can't we can't run the restaurant on um, only vegetables from the British market. So mm. we have we have vegetables coming by truck every three times a week, four times a week from the Milan market, and that's wow. very exciting. Yeah, very that's delicious. really
0: exciting. Yeah. And so in the early days. Were you able to do that? Well, in the that? early
1: days I would bring a prosciutto back from Rome. If okay. I went to Rome, I'd bring a prosciutto back. If Rose went to you know, in your house uh, somewhere, we'd just bring it back. Yeah, we'd bring it back.
0: And tell us about the yearly Tuscan Odyssey to source the finest olive oil, because that just sounds very romantic. Yeah.
1: Well it is it is. It's also exhausting. I mean it's a very we we say that we say that we really want our team here, the people who work here, especially the chefs, to be exposed to Italian, the way you can learn about it, we can teach it, we can tell them this is the River Cafe way. But when you go to Italy and you actually eat the food that we like you know, to eat and that we respect, and usually it's in people's homes, every year I take a trip for about a week, uh, for maybe four nights, three or four nights, to Tuscany, and that's to choose the olive oil that we... We only have about four estates in Tuscany that we have a very close relationship with, we buy our wine from, and they also produce olive oil. And so we take with us people who are, well, we take chefs, and we take uh, some people from the floor. And the idea is to experience, first of all, how olive oil is made, the importance of olive oil. And you. the requirement is that you have worked in the River Cafe for two years and okay. you to go <laughs> on a wine trip. And then for the people who've done that and, and learned about the oil and the wine and from Tuscany and the area around Florence particularly, we then take the other group to Piemonte. And so then they'll they'll, they'll learn about that That's much more wine-based. Okay. And they learn about the wines from Piemonte. And um, if they're lucky, there might be a few truffles around, so they'll go to Alba. And the idea is, again, to expose them. And then after that, once you've been to Tuscany and Piemonte, um, we took a group of six people to uh, Venice. And then, um, you know, we... Basti and Charles and I went to New York. And even, you know, it's just so important to to, to just be exposed to what other chefs, what other yeah. restaurants, what other cities are doing. Um, sometimes in the restaurant world, sometimes in the Italian experience. It's, I uh, mean, it, it, we, we, eating really like. is so important, isn't yeah. it? Like to be a and good because, yeah. chef, it's, yeah. you have to experience have to everyone else's and talk, you know, we, yeah, we, but it is, um, it is, an, they're, they're remarkable trips, but they are, you know, everybody comes back quite early because you get up very early and they're quite rigorous. You know, yeah. you have to get up early, you have to drive two hours, you have to taste six different olive oils and you have to taste some wine. And I mean, it's it's a kind of, Then you get back in the car and then you drive for another two hours and then you have lunch. But it's great. It's really great.
0: And I think olive oil is one of those things that if people are just buying that olive oil from the supermarket, yeah. they're sort of not aware of how yeah. different yeah. olive oils can be. Well,
1: you can even, you know, look at the, when we choose the olive oil on the big vats, it'll say this olive oil was pressed on October 1st and this one was pressed on October 8th. And this one is, you know, they have dates on them or maybe even less than a week apart. And so um, it is, it's a, it's a world of discovery, olive oil. Mm. It's very important. We, we consider it. As important salt or oh, well, yeah, or and it's, it's the basis it. of so yeah. many dishes, isn't yeah. it? And also, how to use it not to use it, not to drown everything in olive oil, not to pour too much over it, to be judicious with. Yeah. you cook with oil.
0: Um, But I love what you say about how when you go to another country, actually to experience the best food, you've got to go to people's houses, haven't you?
1: Yeah, for me, that's the best invitation is to be
0: able to eat in someone's house. Definitely. know, good house. Yeah, good. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
1: The fifth desert island dish is the dish that you eat the most often. That was really hard. That was quite tricky because I would say that I would, it depends on, first of all, it depends on the season. Yes. So when it's punterelle season, I'd probably have punterelle every single day. And there's also the reason I love cooking seasonally is that there is that feeling, I can eat it every day because in about a month it's going to be gone. That's so true. So it's kind of like seeing a friend who's, visiting from a foreign city. You just want to get the most you can before they leave. That's such a nice way
0: of thinking of it. And then you look
1: forward to the next Yeah, then you know. And also you know that it's all when the punterelle goes then we're gonna have something else. And then when the asparagus goes we have melons. And when the melons go, we have cherries and when the cherries go. So that seasonal thing really would depend, I suppose. But I always say and I haven't used it, I could we were laughing yesterday because Basically, I could have answered each one of these questions by saying pasta with tomato sauce. I really (laughs) have. That sounds like my dream as well. I might not be able to classify it as a sandwich, but it was uh, (laughs) certainly the best dish of every first dish I learned. I could say everything, but it is something that I'm often teased about. But I think that I find comfort in the fact that if you do ask many, many, many Italians what their favorite pasta sauce is, it is local tomato. We have all these amazing sauces with you know, different ingredients and many ingredients and vegetables and rabbit and we do Fish pastas, we do every you know everything. But then when you have a really delicious slow cooked tomato sauce, it's just divine. It's so yeah. good. What yeah. what like do you have a secret to making yours? Well, I your... think the secret is to really first use good tomatoes. Yeah, and so but they don't have to be raw tomatoes in season. You know they do these wonderful jars. You want to try and avoid the tins that have that thick tomato juice. Yeah, if you can't, then you just strain them and then you you know we cut them up in the in the colander get all the liquid out as possible and then I use I don't I don't cut the garlic up into little pieces anymore I like having sort of whole cloves of garlic which okay. I brown, and um, you know it's very nice to make it in the summer when you have the basil but you can have it in the winter without basil to slow cook it very you know to very very slow cook it and put more salt in than you think because salt is really important with tomatoes it's almost yes. like you can't have too much salt yeah <laughs> and it. and then to add the pasta to the sauce rather than the sauce to the pasta yes
0: that is an excellent
1: tip there you go
0: let's talk a bit about the menu because the menu changes twice a day yes and um, you've always done that haven't you, you know, we always have from day one yeah yeah and I think people are really interested in the process of how you actually go about creating the menu like what does that look like and is it one of your favorite things to do it
1: is it is because it's um I know you come in. It's sort of with a blank piece of paper, although you have recipes in your head, and you have a kind of. I often call in the morning. It's very similar to how you cook at home. Yeah, I always say you go in the fridge, you see what's there, you think, well, maybe I can go shopping. What should I buy? And then you look in the cupboard and what's left over. You know that that's the kind of way we all think, and so the restaurant really is on that scale. Of course, times two hundred. (laughs) Yes, but I think that it. I, when you come in the morning, I always like to kind of call the night before very early in the morning and see that because we have a hub, which is our our book, our diary. Yeah. We'll say the chef of the night before will tell you what, what's been ordered, what fish has been ordered, what vegetables, what meat um, and what is left over in the fridge. So they didn't they didn't save the. Fish sauce, but there is some um, tomato sauce in there. They, didn't, they threw away the something else, but they saved something else. So you find out what's, you know, there, because we don't want wastage. But then again, we don't. We're very, very careful about, um, we're not like, we don't make pâtés out of leftover meat. No. no, we're very, very careful. So um, I have a kind of sense as I'm driving here, of thinking about what I would like to eat for lunch, what the weather is like how many people we have coming, what my team is like, because we don't have, again, in the kitchen people... Just their job changes every day. Okay. Or you don't have like a set. We don't have a set. sauce. No, we don't have a sauce chef yeah. or even a pastry chef or as a so basically when they come in, they they're not really sure what they will be doing. Okay. That's um, so fun. But I, I really think about it. Of course, you know, you're not gonna ask, ask a chef who's just started yeah. to make um our own. A <laughs> you know, exactly. So so everybody works according to their ability.
0: That's so fun. So it's a really creative challenge
1: yeah, every and you, day. And, and sometimes you get absolutely paralyzed and you can't think what to put with the lamb plate. So I'll call, you know, it's a collaborative. Cooking is very collaborative anyway. Definitely.
0: And are there any things that if they weren't on the menu, people would get very cross?
1: Yeah, Yeah. definitely. <laughs> well, They'd get, well, working backwards, they would get very cross if there was no nemesis. Oh, the, the yeah, chocolate very cake. Very cross. Yeah. They'd yeah. be cross <laughs> if there was no... Um, I think squid, but very often we don't, they, they just have to get across because, oh, right. you know, we're depending on the fishing. Yeah, that's sometimes so true. There's no squid. And then it's like, I quite like it when there's no squid because everybody orders the squid. You know, we do it grilled with chili and <laughs> rocket. We score it and have it with fresh chili sauce. And every, it's very, very popular. So that not um, that
0: amazing that yeah. that's, that's been on the menu since the yes, beginning? Almost people, yeah, no, it's, it's
1: a very clean way to start your
0: meal. Yeah. And the new book? It's so beautiful, and oh, thank it's, you. It, it's a real mix of classic River Cafe recipes with new additions. It must have been a really lovely thing to put together. It
1: was really. It was one of the great um, experiences because we were actually um, encouraged by our publisher to do it. Oh, really? Yeah, it was nice. So we didn't have to go and sort of pitch it. They came to us and said, "Why don't you know we do a book to celebrate 30 years?" And then we knew it was only. We only had about six months to do it, so we knew that it would be a challenge to. Um, do a new cookbook with two hundred recipes, so we thought let 's visit you know the river cafe blue book, the first book yeah, and um, you know some recipes we didn 't well we had we have ninety uh, recipes from that book and then we have thirty new ones and some recipes we didn 't need to change at all because they just we could just Put them in the book. Yeah, some of them. We went. Wow, did we really put that much garlic oh. in? Did we really <laughs> put that many chickpeas? Did we really, <laughs> you know? Oh, we didn't. You know, we've changed the way we cook the nemesis now. So it was. It was really nice to do it and to look at the, you know. And then with the new recipes, which which ones to choose and where we had them. And so I think it was. And I did it with Sean Minowen and Joseph Trevelli. and we worked in a really collaborative way with the designers and the photographer. Because it was not you know, it's not like we sent them the recipes and they laid out. They were yeah here, sometimes twice a week with oh, really? you know, looking yeah. at page spreads and So it was, it was, and Matthew Donaldson who did the photography. Yeah. We would get all the photographs were taken outside and you can see there's a lot of sun and shadow.
0: Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Really cool. Yeah. The shadow. Yeah. It looks like very modern. Yeah. And
1: so we would come up, say the sun's out, get over (laughs) here. Run
0: over. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I've heard that you're the most amazing dinner party host, which obviously doesn't come as a huge surprise, but let's talk about the sixth
1: Desert Island dish and that's your go to dinner party dish. Well, I have a kind of inverse... You can't imagine the pressure. People always say, I wouldn't want to invite you over because, you know, you would be so critical. And I said, what's it like for me? yes, so stressful. And so, you know, you feel people... So I do a kind of inverse dinner party that basically the more kind of impressive the people are that are coming or the more kind of um, important it is, the more informal I make the food. I like that type. Yeah, so it's just as easier and nicer. And so again you know i really like i love vegetables so and i i kind of sadly resist that first course second course third course thing you know you're up and down and yeah you the time the cooking of the sea bass so you finish the first course you know all that and so um so i've given a few of this you know i do not first of all i have to say that mostly we come here with friends cuz well, i yeah, just love yeah why wouldn't you <laughs> it's it kind of like my home and and it is It's just so nice. It's just so nice to sit here. And I love restaurants, the drama and all that. But sometimes you do want to have people at home and you do want to have those kind of conversations that you can have. So um, the ones recently, I had the mayor of Bogota one night and I had some architects from California. And I had, just recently, I've had just, I mean, really nice people. And um, pasta, pasta and the vegetables. So, but the vegetables, you, you know, we do a pasta and then, can be taglarini with with cooked tomato, it can be rotolo. Do you know that, that I put that down because I have made that the last I think three times because it's a bit step up from the nobody can really understand how you make it or yeah. what it is in it. And it is actually quite simple because you roll out a sheet of pasta and then you make this mixture of ricotta and spinach and nutmeg and parmesan. Yeah. And um but it just it is kind of very dramatic to have this rotolo on the plate. And then after that we have we had I think we had artichokes, we had fresh boilati beans, we had some zucchini, we had it's nice to make the vegetables in different ways, to to roast some of them, to boil some of them and to slow cook some of them. And then I do you know, put a bit of mozzarella and prosciutto and then we have caramel ice cream and that's oh, kind of it. Oh my goodness, that it makes amazing. it quite relaxed to do to do it that way. I think it's quite yeah. nice.
0: I mean, I think for most people listening, that will not sound
1: that yeah. relaxed. <laughs> but it sounds also absolutely guess, yeah. delicious. It's incredibly <laughs> privileged because I you know, can say, can you make me a in the restaurant? Or can we, you know, can we do something at home? So Yeah, the dream. People always say to me, it must be so difficult, you know, cooking for 120 people. And I go, what's really hard is cooking for eight. You know, the pressure on people to, to, to kind of work all day, come home, shop. Yeah, at a dinner party. Yeah, it's look, true. It's exhausting. It's a you lot, know, isn't it? It's really a lot.
0: Yeah. More than just the delicious food you create, the river cafe has a real reputation for the kind of place where people actually look forward to going to work. Do you think that culture is an important part of why the River Cafe has been so successful?
1: I'd like to think so. I mean, I think it's crucial and I think it's a responsibility of everybody who has um has has people work for them. Yeah. You make sure that they're paid well, they're fed well, they're their hours aren't so long that they can, um, feel happy. And then I have to say, it's good for business. You know, yeah. if they're happy, if you go into a restaurant where you think people are, you know, the staff, the waiters make you feel intimidated or they're rude or they're grumpy or they're exhausted, you probably, they haven't, you know, they're, being, they're not working in a good environment. Yeah, I mean, They may just be that kind of person, yeah. you never know. <laughs> but generally I'm really proud of the way that the team here works together and definitely. Um, and is yeah. that part of having the open plan kitchen? It's sort of possibly, yeah. I think that it's really good that we don't have a kitchen in the basement, yeah. you know, and that we also don't have that dynamic between front of house kitchen that the fact that the waiters come in the morning and help prep the food, they're in the kitchen so they'd see the demands of the chef. Yeah, that's so it's good. All, it all makes it, I think, better.
0: Yeah, and it makes so much sense. The final desert island dish is the last dish you would choose to eat before being cast off to the desert island. Oh, well, I definitely chose a chocolate
1: nemesis. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it
0: was good. I was about
1: that. I see if I was sitting on a desert island, <laughs> I think I'd like my... Last experience to have been chocolate. Yeah. and chocolate, add that We're cake. not going to
0: bother with a slice. We're just going to have yeah, the, whole the whole cake. Thing. Why yeah. Not? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're allowed to
1: take with you one luxury item that can be anything you like. Yeah, I was trying to think. I haven't. I must say I haven't really thought about that one. I thought about olive oil, if that's an item. I've yeah, about, that would be a good one. Yeah, that be a good one. Have that with your yeah, fish. Okay. Yeah. And you're also allowed to
0: take with you one cookery book that you don't necessarily have to use on the island, but it's your
1: most treasured cookery oh well of course i would like to take my own but that's i would probably have those in my head yes i would probably take marcella Hazan the first book yeah the classic because she really taught me how to cook brilliant option thank Thank you you so much much
0: for letting us hear your desert island dishes how incredible is ruth it's such an inspiring story and it was just amazing to meet her don't forget to go to the website www.desertislanddishes.co for the full list of episodes plus the recipes i've created inspired by each episode and come and say hi on instagram and twitter but mainly instagram at made by margie and other than that thank you so much for listening see you next week